on this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses drama. Hi, and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and I'm joined on this episode of Progressive Palaver by my very, very good friends, Paul Zotter, J.D. Virgilio, and Ken Gregory. On this episode, we discuss the implications of members leaving the band, yes, and new members joining the band, yes, as they came up with 1980s drama. So this brings us to drama. Um, Drama was released in 1980. It uh, was produced by Yes and, and Eddie Offord. He came back into the fold. Was released on Atlantic. The band lineup, significant change here, obviously. Trevor Horn now takes over lead vocals. Um, Chris Squire, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs is now your keyboardist. And Alan White is your drummer. The blurb is as follows. Drama is the 10th studio album. By the English rock band Yes, released on 18 August 1980 by Atlantic Records. It is their only album to feature Trevor Horn as lead vocalist, following the departure of John Anderson and Rick Wakeman in March 1980 after unsuccessful recording sessions for a new album in Paris and London. Horn was joined by keyboardist Jeff Downs, his partner in the new wave band The Buggles. Drama was recorded in a short amount of time as a tour was already booked prior to the change in personnel. It marked a departure in the band's musical direction, with songs more accessible and aggressive, and featuring the use of modern keyboards and a vocoder. Drama was released to a mostly positive critical reception, with most welcoming the band's new sound. The album peaked at number two in the UK and number 18 in the US, though it became their first album since 1971 not to reach gold certification by the RIAA. Into the Lens was released as the album's sole single. Yes, toured the album with a 1980 tour of North America and the UK, and were met with some negative reactions during the UK leg over the new new lineup change. Yes, disbanded at its conclusion. Horn ventured into producing. Howe and Downs co-formed Asia, and Squire and White formed Cinema with Trevor Rabin, which led to a reformed Yes in 1982. The album was remastered in 2004 with previously unreleased bonus tracks. Yes performed drama in its entirety for the first time on their 2016 European tour. A lot going on there. One of the things that I came across, and it's it's sort of alluded to there, John Anderson and Rick Wakeman apparently left Yes in March of 1980. Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs joined the band and started recording in April of 1980. These guys didn't mess around. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's amazing. 
you know, all these personnel changes, and it just it always happened like that. So when you guys hear Trevor Horn singing, is it like Dan Hagar? But when you when you listen to it, you know, there's there's a lot more of Chris Squire vocal in the mix on drama. And I think that was mainly to sort of ease the transition and mask it a little bit. Um, to make it feel, you know, a little bit more continuous than it than it otherwise would. That's that's sort of what I think of every time I hear this album. It's also timbre. I mean, uh, Anderson cuts through the mix, and Squire, in his own way, cuts through the mix. Uh, and and they had a, a very special blend. So you switch up the lead singer, and you get somebody uh, <clears throat> with a very smooth voice, really. Uh, um, what you mean when you say is it like Van Hagar? Because I, you know, I I never had a problem with the Van Hagar, you know, per se. I I, you know, I always enjoyed the Sammy Hagar stuff of Van Halen. I always thought it was very different than, you know, the David Lee Roth stuff. But, um, and I guess that's, I guess, so I guess it, it is for me because I've always listened to drama just like this anomaly. It's just a different, it's just a different album. It's like all of that wanking and, and frustration that maybe Steve Howe felt throughout going for the one and, and, um, don't kill the whale finally got to come out and just a, a balls out, you know, rock progressive, um, you know, rhythmically strong guitar oriented type of album. And, um, and I feel like that's very different than what we heard before with yes. And, and, you know, Trevor's, Trevor Horn, along with Chris Squire singing, like, all the lines in, you know, harmonies together, it just kind of fit together nicely. I can't imagine poor Trevor Horn trying to sing, you know, all of John Anderson's parts live, though. I've seen videos of him, you know, pretty much saying that he hated it. I, I think Chris just wanted someone who could sing roundabout live so they could make some money on a tour, and everything else was just icing on the cake. You know, yeah. at some at some level, these guys have to make an, a living, um, and 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 Trevor would have been in his head voice doing most of those songs. So of course, you know, if you're singing in head voice for two hours, you just start. You know, it's it's hard. It's more difficult. Where those lines for John Anderson was, you know, right in his sweet spot. So, yeah, it would have been a, a hell of a lot of work for Trevor. I was asking the question from kind of like the perspective of, did it sound blasphemous? Like, you know, with Van Halen, all those albums with, with Dave, you know, it was so much a part of the character of Van Halen. And then for Sammy Hager to come along, who was... Mm. Serious yeah. as a vocalist, uh, you know, he was good in his own right, and the music, like you said, that they made together was decent. I thought, you know, uh, but it it didn't seem like Van Halen. I don't know. I, so I, I, as I approached Van Halen, like a, from a purist sense, I was wondering if to you, 
true yes fans approach it from a purist sense and it's kind of blasphemous to have a, a, a new lead singer come in and try and do similar music yeah yeah you know that's great point jay because i when i was learning about yes in high school and college drama was really the last thing that interested me and it probably was because of and it really shouldn't have been because some of the some of the tracks are just rocking um but i think a lot of it was because john anderson wasn't the singer hmm. but now in my old age you know i'm much more open-minded to things like uh, like that so <laughs> very very uh Hmm. You know, Jay, so, you, you, you missed the conversation in the last episode where we talked about how foreshadowing Trevor Raven by developing a more modern style and playing kind of just more in the rock vein, the pentatonic licks, the rock licks, keeping it simple, less jazz, less country. And th there were a few funny spots where Steve Howe sounded like Trevor Raven. And 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 Stephen Steve Howe um, kind of changes his style. You get rid of Rick Wakeman, and this album, this whole drama thing, is enough of a different band that it's not offensive because it's that different. That's how I take it. Almost like a side project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe, would you would you? feel that this is almost a side project? I, it, it's funny. I, I probably would have said that before, but now I see it more as a rail junction. There were a lot of moving parts. And, you know, as we've approached this for, for this particular project, um, I, I, and I, I kind of see the greater landscape here, and I think that is what interests me much more about drama. Drama always fascinated me, because I've always been interested in some of the weirder stuff anyway, just sort of naturally. Um, and, and again, getting into Yes in the big generator era, if you will, the, the one... The one way that this was sort of opened up for me was on the 9012 live album is the Whitefish section, which has, you know, the, 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 the riff from um, Tempest Fugit. And it was like, that kicks ass. What is that? And, you know, you start digging around and you find out, oh, it's this, you know, from this, this song on... Uh, on drama, and of course, it Tempest Fugit has sort of the the hook that it's got the little yes, yes bit to it. So you know, oh, here you go. You know, you got this rocking song, which is sort of unlike yes. And again, at that point, you know, rocking out was all that was really important to me. And you know, there there was just a lot that sort of drew me in to to drama. And so when I picked it up. I was I was instantly hooked, um, just loved it to the point where you know, you know, in, in in my little fantasy world, my my would be band was recorded under the name of White Car because you know here was 
here was like the ultimate anti-yes song. It's two minutes long. It's not 22 minutes, it's two minutes. And it's still awesome. I just, I love it. I love where it takes me. And so, yeah, drama is different. Drama isn't like everything else. And I was able to get into that and still feel good about myself. You know, I didn't feel like I was being a, a bad Yes fan or anything else. Hmm. Um, I just liked what it was. In the beginning of this Yes section, um, it may have even been in the beginning of Merlin, I don't know. I, I, I don't recall. Tom, at one point, you know, made the, the comment, and other people have said it, and Yes themselves have said it, you know, that that 90125 and bringing Trevor in and, you know, owner of a lonely heart was, was the thing that kept yes relevant in, into the eighties and allowed yes to continue to be, you know, what they were. This album and bringing in Jeff and Trevor, you know, two guys from, and, you know, and, and electronic new wave band, wasn't was really an attempt to do the same thing it this album really could have redefined what yes was i don't know what you know what the impetus was for jeff and steve to go off and form asia at that particular point um but you know to me i i view this very much similar to Genesis is calling all stations in that, you know, you bring a new singer in, it changes the whole flavor of things. But of course, that never went anywhere. The interesting thing here is, you know, you had you've got so many lines coming into drama. You've got, um, you know, the entire yes lineage. And certainly there are parts of, I think, more going for the one that feed in to this, maybe more so than Tormato. Um, but you also have, you know, the Buggles portion coming in. And one of the things that I did in preparation for this was I listened to, and yes, I actually own both Buggles CDs. I'm one of like four people in the world, probably you do. Um, and, but when, when you think about the Buggles, you know, video killed the radio star, first video on MTV, isn't that cute? You know, and it it's it has sort of that dystopian, angsty, anti-techno feel, you know, in terms of the lyrics. And it, it can be sing-songy at times. Um, and But if you think about it, the Buggles never really made it big. You know, they had a, a small amount of success, but it wasn't like they were the, the definitive... Um, new wave band right well when you listen to the first buggles album which is truly jeff and trevor um it there are sections in there where it's obvious that these guys had certain musical ideas that were in the neighborhood of yes maybe not quite on the same level but certainly more so than you know your average new wave band right so that that first Buggles album, there's enough there where you can see 
how this actually worked out and why they were able to put this together. And then coming out of drama, you have the fascinating split of, you know, Asia and into, you know, the 90125 yes. And as well as, you know, Trevor Horn produced a second, the second Buggles album after drama. And when I was, when I first got it, when I was younger, I used to, I'd always thought that the second Buggles album was better. Um, mainly because it has a version of, um, of um, Into the Lens. It's called I Am a Camera on that one, which was really cool. But in, in actuality, since Jeff Downs had already left and gone on to form Asia, Trevor did this by himself. And the, that second Buggles album is pales in comparison because it doesn't have Jeff's influence on it. And mm. so, but, but what really does become interesting is this one song, you know, The I Am The Camera, which is sort of Trevor's sketchbook, if you will, it's almost like the Rosetta Stone for this because you, you can match them up and see how everything translates. So, like I said, this is why I just, there's so much about this album and so many layers and so many levels um, that I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that, you know, Alan, Chris, and Steve are just locked tight together and they're kicking ass and taking names. Um, you know, it's, it's intricate, but it's not over the top. Um, Jeff Downs really brings an almost Goldilocks approach in terms of his keyboard playing. It's like, you know, he's not Rick Wakeman, but he's not Tony K. It's just right, you know. Um, you know, he's, nice. yeah, you know, it, there, there's just so much here that that just fascinates me. Mm. Yeah, I think coming off of, uh, particularly coming off of Tormato, you know, the lineup certainly, um, I, I think it brings relevance to the band. I mean, at, at this point in time, like we were reading some of the albums that came out in 78. In 1980, music is changing, right? Like some of the albums that came out, Permanent Waves by Rush, Duke by Genesis. Um, you know, when you think about the progressive side, like these are the things that are happening around them. And, and I don't, I don't think Tormato holds up to those two records, but I mm -hmm. think drama does, right? Drama stands up to yeah. Duke very nicely. Um, I would agree. Yeah. And, and then, but there's also like, let, you, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I can't say enough about how fantastic Duke is. So anything that is even in the same conversation as Duke has got to be, by extension, be pretty darn good. Well, Peter Gabriel's Melty Face has uh, some amazing songs, and it's the same year. It, it's, uh, exactly. I don't remember. Um, uh, I think there are three. Oh, okay. Games Without Frontier. Seriously. Um, that's some heavy competition. And... <laughs> Biko is at the end of that, so that, that yeah, that's it, it, and, heavy. And even heavy. while, yeah, even while that's happening with the heavy hitting going on, you've got Huey Lewis in the news breaking. You've got <laughs> Brian Adams breaking. 
um you've got the band survivor breaking right so like music is beginning to shift in a different way Def Leppard releases on through the night I loved on through the night and I thought it just didn't get enough attention but they made up for it but it, was, it was their it was their first album and that's and that's kind of I think the point is the music is changing here and they are for once um you know uh, in, in in this era you know yes is sort of you know trying to keep up with um with what's happening and then like i think later in this year the ace of spades was released by motorhead so yeah you know mu music is changing and so there's there's another interesting aspect of this that i i stumbled across um in preparation for this that really just resonated with me personally and that is um the fact that Hugh Padham was an engineer on this recording. Now, again, yes, and, and Eddie Offord were the producers, but I guess Hugh was just getting his start. Now, uh, apparently, according to the Wikis, among his other th things, and, and Hugh Padham shows up in a lot of the things that really spoke to me um, when I was younger, but, but Hugh was, apparently is credited with creating the gated drum sound. Really? And yeah. So, so he yeah. went on, he went on to win four Grammys. He won album and producer of the year for no jacket required in 1985. He won record of the year for another day in paradise in 89 and he won the Best Engineered Album Non-Classical for Ten Summoner's Tales in 93. He was also nominated, although he didn't win, in 1983 for Synchronicity for Album of the Year, Every Breath You Take for Record of the Year that year. In 1991, he was nominated for Album of the Year, Producer of the Year, and Best Engineered Recording for Phil's But Seriously. In 1994, he was nominated for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, and Producer of the Year for Ten Summoner's Tales and If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. And he was nominated for Best Pop Album in 97 for Mercury Falling. Bands that Hugh has worked with, either as a producer or engineer, include 311, The Bee Gees, David Bowie, Kate Bush, um... Phil Collins, Susanna Vega, Julian Cope, Cheryl Crow, um, The Fix, which is where I first found him. Peter Gabriel, uh, he was the engineer on the third album in 1980. Um, Genesis, Hall & Elton John, um, Paul McCartney, Mike and the Mechanics, Psychedelic Furs, Split Ends, Sting, Brian Wilson, XTC, and Frank Zappa. So, wow. Legit. You know, it's 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 amazing when these little sort of threads show up and you start pulling and you're like, holy crap. So I just thought that was that was something else that was cool. Wow. It's a small small world in this uh in this progressive music uh place. I will say I, I, now that you bring up the drums and the gated verb, drama is normal. Like, you're not yeah. getting the Phil Collins sound. Uh, I don't know if they 
could have gone. I don't think they could have gone bigger because the nature of the compositions don't leave room for that. But you know, uh, yeah. I'm not going to pull out drama as an example to teach them to teach somebody get in verb. <laughs> but but it 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 it, it I get. I, it could have been. It could have been. So, so according to the to the story here, um, so Padgham is is credited with creating the gated drum sound used so prominently on Phil Collins' single "In the Air Tonight," and which became the template for much of the recorded pop drum sound of the 1980s. The effect is believed to have first been used on the 1983rd self-titled solo album by Peter Gabriel which Padgham engineered and on which Collins played. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, he didn't he didn't use it apparently for drama, but it was right around that time when he came up with it. I'm scrolling through the 1980s releases and if I think about drama and the quality of the production, um that's the same year that Alan Parsons released Turn of a Friendly Card, which has pristine production um so i would i would say that drama is right up there with the alan parsons project that was, that was kind of the 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 mindset i think that that the band had it you know i don't know if they were making up for tornado or if they were just really meticulous but i, I would say drama is a meticulous job well, and I think it—it's almost the—it's—it's um, it's almost the marbles effect, in that you know, again, given given Tormato. Now, granted, I think I think if you had gone from going for the one into drama, it maybe have been less shocking. But certainly, going from Tormato into drama, um, just in terms of of the. The, the crisp songwriting, the outstanding production. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it probably was, was shocking. Certainly it's shocking even today when you go from one to the other. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, how, how much of that is, is part of Jeff and Trevor coming in? Now, obviously, Trevor went on to become a stellar producer on his own, but you'd have to imagine that, you know, even at that point when Trevor was still a performer, he had, he had a, a certain ear or a feel for what, you know, how music should be recorded, what it should sound like. I, I, I mean, they're, they're the big difference there, right? I, I agree. And so this leads into the actual, you know, oddly enough, in all my years of listening to Yes and everything, and when I started listening to this for for as we were approaching this episode, it, it it sort of hit me like, duh, this is a very dramatic album. Like when you listen to these songs, they're filled with drama. The dynamic, the the dynamics, the production. There, it's it is. They weren't sitting there splicing up tape to put parts together that they had figured out and worked through to put a song together. These were really thoughtful, the, the rhythmic interplay between the drums and the bass, the keyboard, the guitar, the melodies switching back and forth. Like it was more um, thought out it, and, and 
sometimes it's like over the top dramatic, like Machine Messiah. But I, re I really like that part about that compared to some of the other conversations we've had about the process of them, like splicing tape to get parts together. It's just a little bit more um, thought out. I feel like I think from a from the the point of view, you know, they they learn how to write songs as opposed to you know sort of Frankenstein them together, which is yeah. what they were doing in the beginning. Better better arrangements. And I, you know, I had forgotten about the fact that uh, Trevor Horn used Into the Lens as I Am the Camera um, in the second Buggles album, which is, which I guess pardons what I was going to call the greatest party foul of progressive music, which was the recapitulation of the opening riff from Machine Messiah in that Asia song. Um, the wildest be... dream, which I think I'd rather again, listen to actually. than than Machine Messiah in most in most cases. But <laughs> yeah, that was just a, a major, well, and and ma I, major that, party foul. Yeah, I can't believe that Asia allowed that to happen. I'm glad you brought that up. Before we get too far, so so Jay, you know, obviously yeah. there's something about drama here that encouraged you to stay up really late on a Monday night and, and join the Skype conversation. So I, I, you know, I'd like to get sort of your perspective on, you know, what, what attracts you to drama and, you know, does it obviously, you know, you still feel the same way or strongly about it. And, and so has it changed over the years for you? No, it's 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 heavy. It's straightforward, uh, you know. Comparatively speaking, it's straightforward. Uh, it, it doesn't challenge you to accept the the quirkiness of Tormato and a lot of the previous albums. It's 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 so much more palatable than previous. I happen to love the vocals and. Um, but particularly, like you're saying, the the bass and the drums together, like the fills on Machine Messiah, um, the uh, the drum part in uh, uh, where where is it? Uh, it's all good. It's Alan White. It's probably his peak. I'm sorry. I'm trying to read through my notes here. Oh, in, into the lens has that 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 beat in the beginning that everybody I would love, you know, I'd love to just fool around with, even though it's pretty simple after a little while, but you know, it's yeah. just enough, you know, to, to be different and enjoyable. And I, I guess that's how I would summarize this album. It's, it's still yes to the degree that it's not, it's not the buggles, you know, it, it's not, it's not the straightforward right. pop that we were hearing in the eighties, but it's not like the previous yes albums, which were just, too out there for me to enjoy so that's where i'd put it is this drum light on the cymbals like i think it is I, I'm sorry, like the whole production like the cymbals are pretty much choked back in the mix right uh i'm well, cheating because i'm listening to some tracks right now but um <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think so. Uh, uh, Stark about about this. I, it just sounds like one of the albums where, where you know Alan White 
symbols are, are very much under control. And that that's probably true for, you know, all bands in the 80s. Symbols were highly compressed. But uh, I think it's awesome because it, like you said, the, the toms and, and whatnot in the beginning of uh, Into the Lens, it just it just makes it that more powerful. The, the, the bass entry of Into the Lens, I got it. Just this part. Exactly. Exactly. That's so badass. And yeah. I, we haven't really heard that kind of stuff in a long time from Yes. It, you want to talk, if you want to talk badass, play the beginning of Does It Really Happen? Yeah, that's another one, too. This is fun. <laughs> that is just oh it's yeah all, yep that stuff's heavy that's really heavy and i don't i mean i don't think of yes as being that heavy previously well and, and and you know that's that's the funny thing that pops up occasionally as we've gone through these yes albums it's like you you lose sight of the fact that progressive rock is still rock and roll and every once in a while, they'll just they'll pull their balls out and go crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jay, what's what's uh, what is your favorite track? Do you have a favorite track from this uh, from this album? Yeah, Machine Messiah. I love it. I I can't get. Yeah. Any. And then probably doesn't really happen. Although that gets very straightforward, you know, after the the rock and intro, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you called it, would you call it overdramatic or melodramatic? I love it, though. It's just so heavy. And the wiki page says they wrote it in one day. Um, yeah, can you imagine? I don't know. You put something together like that in one day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I part The part of, about this, um, some of the stuff on this album is that, like, I, I, I hear some Pink Floyd and Machine Messiah. I think it's hard not to. Because um, they're doing some E minor stuff there, and it gets really mellow with the acoustics. And then um, I think I want to say I can't remember offhand now whether it's does it really happen or run through the light. But I really feel like it 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 reminds me of stuff off of Abacab. Um, some of the progressions in there. So there's all there's this really there's just this really cool kind of vibe that they have that they're, you know, I feel like they're stretching themselves um, in places they've never gone before. Um, it's it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's it's fun because it's more straightforward, you know, more carefree that way, uh, my opinion. You know, I like I like how you said, Jay, we're not challenged with any quirkiness. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of yes is being challenged uh, mentally by all the obsessions <laughs> and the, the weirdness of it all. <laughs> some so for some reason I was able to put that uh, on hold for uh, Termato. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because in Termato you were you were reveling in the absurdity of some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's literally what I like about it a lot of times. <laughs> you know, I'm listening to Tempest Fugit now, and if you just took that and recorded it somewhere at the end of Tomato, but 
did a crappy mix, it would fit. Because Tempest Fugit is is it's kind of schizophrenic. It's all over the place. It's got different yeah. things popping out of it. It's just that it's under wraps. It's like very well mixed and engineered and executed. Well, it's got that hook, which you know you can't get away from. Mm-hmm. So, so Paul, when when we had first sort of mapped out doing this episode, you were all hot and bothered and excited to talk about the relationship between this album and the first Asia album. Is is well, there anything there that that still you know holds uh, holds something for you or ah? Uh, well, only well, mostly just the whole Machine Messiah, Wildest Dreams connection, if you will. Um, I apologize if I came across hot and bothered about that. Um, I think I just. I, oh, I know. I no. So I felt like okay. I'm sorry. I know what you mean. Yeah. So I just felt to me like when you get to the end of of drama stylistically it just makes so much more sense to go listen to the first asia album than it does oh. to go listen to 90125 it's so different and it's such a departure from everything before it's a new era literally of yes where you know if you if you take the arc of, of what's happening rhythmically and guitar wise and keyboard wise the album Asia is a much more smooth transition, and it, you know, and in the and there's a there, this YouTube video of the um, progressive rock family tree or whatever, you know, Steve Howe talks about when they finished drama and they finished the tour, basically Chris and Alan, and was were like, ah, okay, we're we're out of here, and they took off. Trevor didn't want to get keep going. And Steve Howe talked about how he and Jeff were basically like, okay, we've got yes, we can do whatever we want. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything. We're going to go form Asia. <laughs> but I think musically, it makes a much more smooth transition. Um, and that, that's the only reason why I, I was bringing that up. I thought it made, would make more sense to have an episode about Asia's first album rather than you know continuing on with yes. Um, I find, I just, and I also, I never, I mean, obviously, I, I, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I was much more into Asia, the first album, than I was in, into drama for many, many, many years. And so it never even occurred to me that the theme from Machine Messiah recapitulated in Wildest Dreams until this go around, seriously. Mm. So, um, I just think that's funny. Like, I would love to have been a fly in the room for them to decide, well, let's, you know, and, and, you know, Jay, to your point, it's one of the hallmark songs on this album, right? It is, and, and even I saw an interview with Steve Howe talking about when they were, when Yes was touring and doing drama a lot, the whole album live. One of the things he said he loved about it so much was they get to play Machine Messiah. So for such a, song that's endeared to so many people and in the members of the band 
I mean, I guess that maybe that's why they decided to, to move on with it. I don't know. It just seemed like a strange choice to to redo that. Yeah, so I think that's that's that was my only point, was that the arc of music seemed to transition better into Asia from this than than any future yes, for sure. Well, you know, and, and that's the, the funny thing about this was, you know, again, thinking about this, you know, from our own perspective and, you know, I knew Asia. I don't know at what point I connected the dots that Steve Howe was in Asia, you know, but Asia was all over the radio when, when we were 12, 13 years old, you know, so I, I just, I find that fascinating, that sort of relationship there. And, you know, like I said, there's, there's so much um, that, that goes into, you know, this is where the, the family tree just starts to branch off everywhere. Because after drama and Steve goes into Asia, Steve Howe just starts showing up everywhere. So is that, uh, is that the be all end all of drama? I like it more now than I liked it when I first listened to it. So it, this was a good exercise for me. Uh, really? Yeah, temp, Tempest Fugit in particular just just grabbed me just you know tonight. And 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 and, and, and just just Steve being under control for once. Uh, that that was very nice to see, you know. Oh. So thank you, Ken. That's exactly what I was going to say, because this really starts, um, you know, Paul, you were talking about the arc of, of drama into Asia and everything else. It, it's, it's here, I think, and certainly, I don't know, maybe he like sprung a, a screw or, or a spring in recording Tormato where he was just all over the map. But from here on out, this is really the, the introduction of the late model Steve Howe. Because Steve is going to now have, you know, a, a very sort of consistent style from this point, probably up until, I don't know, Paul, maybe the latter. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about the work yeah. that he did on the ABWH and Union albums, his own solo album. You know, all through the the eighties and and the early nineties, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of it's it's very consistent. I think from from this point onward. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I agree with you, and I think that part of you know, I think the Trevor Horn, you talked about his influence on the production. I definitely think that has a lot to do with, you know, him being under control in this. And it certainly was part of the the idea around moving on into Asia and so on. And I think that that the commercial success that he found from there, I'm sure, influenced, you know, him to maintain that kind of um, thing. But I also think at this point, right, there's not as much experimenting going on anymore it's they've got they've mastered you know especially he he's such just an incredible player and he's a master of so many different styles and you know one of the thing that ken's commented on is that he just does everything live like he 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 never plays the same lick the same twice and he just leaves it he doesn't try to get it perfect he just really values the performance and i think that always holds true 
but there's there's less experimenting going on now. It's he's kind of mastered all of these these tools and he uses them at his disposal as as he sees fit. I guess I don't know. I mean, what do I know? But that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's still using three guitars in a song. He's still up to his old tricks. He's just doing it in a very consistent manner. And yeah, I like that. It's the late model, Steve. Oh, thanks, Joe. Is it maturity or is it <laughs> slowing down? <laughs> you think it's a sign of maturity? It's all that. I mean, I mean, it's yeah, a business. Yeah. It's a business. You know, he, he's he's a, he's a pro. Well, and 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 yeah, I think you know it. We, we've kind of touched on, you know, the fact that, that Steve Howe, again, ends up playing with a lot of different people and everyone who plays with Steve seems to, to like him. And, um, you know, there was, he went from this to GTR to ABWH back to Yes and, you know, all just he's, he's all over the place. And even even the current lineup of Yes you know, they've been touring pretty much nonstop for, I don't know what, the last seven, eight years, I guess. I mean, the guy just wants to go all out. He can't seem to stop himself. When, I forget what year it was, I was still married, so it must have been, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, something like that, whatever year that the original Asia got back together. And so Steve Howe played the whole freaking night. He did the whole Asia set and he came right out and he did the whole Yes set. And, you know, I mean, for any of you who've seen um, Yes perform with Steve Howe, you know, up until just recently, Steve Howe would, you know, he would switch guitars three times in a song on stage. He'd do it all the time. He'd have his, you know, he he he'd have the acoustic, uh, the acoustic on the stand. He'd have, you know, an electric on him, and then he'd be like, you know, they'd have a roadie bringing the lap steel in for him, you know. And it was just the guy's a, a maniac, and I think he just he just loves doing all of that. So yeah. Wow, I, I was just—I I was just streaming. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Trevor Horn is wonderful, but he was forced to sing so many songs out of his range on this tour. I was just wondering, like, what happened when they wrapped up Drama, went out on the road, and I think, I think, yeah. I think Trevor and Chris just beat their voices silly, just trying to make a convincing vocal performance on that tour, but. Um, Man, if they just could have done drama without doing all the hits, they would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been something to see. Now, I did see um, last year, last August, I believe it was, when I saw Yes in, in Las Vegas. They performed drama and half of Tales from Topographic Oceans. Um and you know, part of it was Alan White wasn't on that tour. Alan had, I guess, he had back surgery last year, and they had some literal schmo filling in. I'm sure we could figure out who the guy was. He wow. wasn't. 
What? Literal schmo. He was pretty rough. He, he wasn't. He wasn't Alan White. I'll tell you that. And so, you know, there there was something of. <laughs> it didn't translate into the live setting very well. Um, Machine Messiah, while I love it, in this particular instance, it was plotting and it was arduous. And and that was sort of true of the whole album. It was kind of weird. Um, but I don't, I honestly don't know because there were a lot of different things going on that night. There was this drummer who, um, who, who just, he wasn't very good. He wasn't, he didn't seem in sync, um, and he wasn't nearly as as accomplished, I think, as Alan. So that sort of distracted me. It was, you know, the second tour where I had to put up with Billy Sherwood, and Billy Sherwood live just, I I can't. I I really try. And really? I, I, I have to give him credit because, again, in terms of playing the notes, he does it all. But I there's just something about him that I, I just can't. And then you're going to end up on a plane next to him, and you're just. <laughs> I I know I am. That's exactly what happens to me. All, you know, not with not with famous people, but time and time again, I'll come across someone like professionally, and I'll like that guy's a, a dipshit. And eventually, I'll get put on a project with him, and I have, have to figure out that he's actually really very cool, and I was just being an asshole. Um, so yeah, who, who knows? Maybe I'll wind up on a plane next to Billy Sherwood. Um, and, and, and so John Davidson is, you know, is the singer. So, and, and it, it was an outdoor thing and, and I guess it was because it was Las Vegas and there was a very casual crowd and it was just difficult to, to get into the whole thing, which was a shame because I love drama so much and I kind of wanted, you know, something more. So I, I don't know what to, uh what to make of that but i i have i have seen it performed live and there are parts of it that i like and parts of it that i don't like but i will say this last when i saw them last year steve did not do nearly as many instrument changes as he has been wont to do so i don't know what that has to do with anything so the the um Literal, what did you call him? Literal Schmo? Yes. <laughs> His name's Dave Shellen. This guy and yes, he has a long, He has a long history of working with huh, none other than Billy Sherwood. Um, <laughs> but he you know, was well known for the, act, for the act Hurricane. <laughs> there you go. Poor guy. He gets the he gets the yes gig and winds up being called a little schmo. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't I don't even think of Asia as having drummers. Are you sure? What? <laughs> Wasn't Carl Palmer the drummer in Asia? Yeah, Carl Palmer. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a machine. I'm sorry. Oh, ouch! Damn. It's eighty. It's eighty two. Wow. All right. So, you know, I, I, I think we can all agree that drama is, is certainly something different in the Yes catalog. 
I think, um, you know, I, I, in in a lot of ways, I think it was, you know, the 90125 that might have been. But I think maybe, you know, overcoming the loss of John Anderson was was a little more than the band could handle. Um, you know, yeah, you should hear you and I live. With with uh, on the drama tour with Trevor, yeah. Is it good? Nah, it's, they're pushing. They're pushing. <laughs> it was yeah, more. Have to, the loss was more than they could handle it. Just like you said. Yeah. So, um, so while you know, while I think, and, and who knows if if they understood that they needed a change, or you know, life was just sort of forcing them there. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, drama clearly was a departure, and they would have then another departure with, with 90125 with the introduction of Trevor, um, which would ultimately be successful. And um, I guess at this point, we won't know that for a while, because we're going to take a a little break from Yes. Hi. And we will presumably move on to King's X at this point, I guess. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then, hey, listen, I'm keeping track of a, I'm keeping track of a list of guys that we need to take to dinner because of of how negatively we've talked about them on on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on that list, Paul? So right now we have Mick Pointer from Marillion, the original Marillion drummer, uh, Tony Kay, uh, Steve Howes, yeah. and and now we're adding Jay Shellen, drummer from Hurricane, <laughs> Bill for Alan White to that list as well. Do we really need to buy Steve Howe dinner? I thought we'd given Steve Howe some mad props along the way. I guess we do. I guess, I don't know, it's hard. I just feel bad. I feel like I've been giving him a hard time a lot lately. All right, I'll take him off the list. We'll just keep Tony K. He really yeah. deserves dinner. With Tony, Tony does. Tony has suffered some abuse at our hands, and I feel a little bad about that. But, you know, Tony is still in a band with Billy Sherwood. It's true. Wow. I'm putting Dave Megan on the list as well. I think he deserves... <laughs> <laughs> he, he at least deserves cocktails. <laughs> Well, if we had if we had gone on cruise to the edge, we could have taken care of all of this at, at one fell swoop. You're right. Oh, no. You're right. Maybe next time. Dave, Dave Dave Megan is a producer from Merlion that we we gave a really hard time to in many of the episodes on uh, the Merlion side. I th- I think we need to send Patrick Moraz a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, we need to uh, maybe maybe we can have a, a note on the uh, on the uh, on the Facebook page where we keep our list of people that we've been unnecessarily mean yeah. to. Okay, but um, you know, I, I certainly uh, you know I I was excited obviously to get to drama. Um, I don't know if you guys picked up on on my excitement or how I feel about this album. Absolutely, yes, yes, we do. And 
Nice, nice. I'd like to say that tonight was uh, beautiful, amazing, wonderful, extraordinary, and beautiful. <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> well said, Jay. Well said. All right, let's leave it at that. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the button. All, All right. right, rock and roll, guys. Rock. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as we've enjoyed sharing it with you. This episode will pretty much finish up this initial part of the Yes catalog. We, uh, our next episode will cover the first Asia album as sort of a continuation, but from there we will move on to a few different topics um, before we get back at some point in the future to 1983's 90125 and the introduction of Trevor Rabin. In the meantime, we certainly welcome and look forward to any of your thoughts or comments or questions regarding this or any of the Yes albums that we've covered so far, or any Yes album for that matter. You can tweet us at progpala. We are available. Um, You can reach us on email at progpala at gmail.com. And we are also available on Instagram and Facebook, both of those at Progressive Palaver. And we do indeed have a YouTube channel. So we look forward to hearing your your thoughts and we look forward to exploring some more progressive rock bands in the future. And we very much look forward to getting back at some point to Yes. Yes.